this mystic takeaway, dishing up extraordinary real-life stories to inspire wonder and nourish the soul. I'm Elisa Graff. Today, I'm interviewing my good friend, Declan Kennedy, who'll share wisdom he's gleaned from his remarkable 87 years of life, as well as details of a near-death experience he had and how this led him to truly see himself as a soul. Good to have you with us. So, Declan, tell us a little bit about yourself. I'm a very spry 87-year-old, still teaching dancing and doing it at least twice a week. And I mostly do circle dances, but I'm ready for a Charleston and I'm ready not so much for a tango. I'm not macho enough for tango. So <laughs> I just leave that uh, out. But otherwise, I made my way through university by teaching dancing and started in University College Dublin, where I was born. And where I lived for 24 years. And then I moved to Germany with the idea of just doing a couple of semesters, finishing my architectural and urban design studies in Darmstadt, and then going back to Ireland. But I met a most wonderful woman, a, a German woman called Margaret Hübner, and we both just were two inches off the ground for a couple of years together, which led to a really wonderful life together for 56 years. And wow. then Margaret passed away. And it's my way of thinking everybody decides when they want to and how they want to die. Yeah. And I'm pretty well um, going strong and will most likely be going strong for another couple of Decades, because of a shaman who was also a homeopathic doctor in New Zealand, having looked at me back, forwards and sideways for about two hours, one morning with anesthesia and all that sort of thing, he told me I was going to be 127. This became a joke, and it's still a joke, but if uh, it is the case, then I have 40 years in front of me, so I don't stop doing things. I've just taken up a new project, which is a two-year project, and I'm really thrilled with it. I've even decided to employ a, a second person to help me to do it. And because I physically, I have a little bit of difficulties, but not that much. I can just turn over and dance at any time. I just love dancing. And it's a very spiritual thing for me as well, because the dancing connects up your right and left brain together. Right. Especially if it's fun dancing and not performance dance. That's okay. But I was born and brought up as a Roman Catholic of the Irish type, which is a bit rebellious. In point of fact, Irish, after 700 years of being under British rule, and finally my father's generation managed to get away from those restrictions, how and now it's turned to friendliness. We are now really getting on very well, the British and the Irish, although we're not no longer together in the EU. But lots of news about the problems in Ireland. But in point of fact, you have to look at what's going on really there. The Irish are very happy people. And I've yeah. noticed this 
by living outside Ireland for years and years. I mostly lived my life in Germany and inclined to forget that I'm Irish. Uh, anyway, I'm just European. I'm just, there's no big deal. As an American, I think of Europe as being so tiny because everything is rather compact. From where Declan and I both live at an eco-village in northern Germany, in Lower Saxony, it's called Lebensgarten. It's the oldest eco-village in Germany. First one, I guess, that was started in the 80s, 1985, is that correct? 85, yeah. And... And uh, so, essentially, you can go three hours one direction to Amsterdam or two hours one direction to Berlin by train. You can fly to London in a very short time. So I always think of Ireland as not being that far away. It's not even as far away as the no opposite longer. coast of the U.S. <laughs> yeah. No, everything is so close to to, And so I can understand that perspective, just a European. And I think that's a wonderful thing because uh, my husband always is saying, it wasn't that long ago that all these little countries were lobbing bombs at each other. Mm. To think of Europe as being a unified whole is actually really nice. Yeah, it's just wonderful to see France and Germany getting on so well after all that history of bashing each other. Yeah. Okay, uh, but to get back to my situation, about 23, I decided that I didn't like the hypocrisy that was going on in the type of religion that I was born into. And I uh, decided to free myself, and it was very difficult socially. So the first thing I did was I, I went to, with the idea of going on studying in London, and I was in London for a year, but I, I didn't like the situation in London. The Irish have made them, put themselves in a bad name there. They, they drink too much and all that sort of thing. So I decided uh -huh. I didn't want to be in that. Although I loved the London because there were midday concerts and things like that. And I just loved music. I, yeah. The first year after school, I studied, I studied music. I even did the first year of, uh, in a conductor, uh, course, which I never followed up, but, um, means, um, music is a part of my life and music is a part of, my universe, because I believe that I'm part of the universe and I'm, in point of fact, just an individuated part of God. So I am God and you are God and we all are God together. And yeah. if we could only realize that, we could give up all these necessities to bash each other, to hate each other, to fight each other. And we all have yeah. this divine aspect in us and this divine aspect we don't bring it out and if we could yeah. do that we could have so much better life and we do it though and i do it whenever i possibly can and i'm not just in the divine when i decide to sit down and meditate which i do very seldom yeah. i do it very quickly in between times i'm a you know two-minute meditator, and I can get into an alpha level within a couple of seconds. I even have a way of doing it where you just click your fingers and you're already in the meditative aspect. So my life is partly very much practical. I've got my hands in the soil. I'm working with plants. I'm working with ecological ideas that come also from my background as an architect. But all of this is part of my design task in this world. This divine task is a design task. It's both. So it's very near near to each other. And yeah. I love it. And I love also passing it on to young people. 
So I'm within groups of young people of 20 and 30. I forget I'm 80 or more, you know, (laughs) because I find that if you can get into the mindset, things are moving, things are going on. If we're ready to use our potentials, which come from our divine situation, then it doesn't matter what age you are. You could do it. No, I love that. You're the most spry 87-year-old I've ever known, of course. Never met anybody (laughs) like you, Declan. And I'm very honored to have the example of your marvelous life. I get to see it because you live near to me, and it's beautiful how you live. I think your attitude, your positive attitude is infectious, and that's a very special quality. And I'm really very honored that I get to take from that or learn from that. Maybe you could talk a little bit about permaculture, because I think it's actually significant how you've contributed to permaculture. You're one of the first permaculturists. You brought it from Australia to Europe back in the 80s. And maybe you could talk a little bit about that. It's been a really remarkable life that you've lived. But permaculture has featured as a main component, a very important main component to your message. Permaculture has mainly to do with ecology on a very broad scale. Permaculture is usually seen as something where you get your self-sufficiency going, maybe with uh, vegetables and fruit, that sort of thing. But actually, permaculture is a design system. And that's why, as an urban designer, it appealed to me because I could pull in all the different aspects of social and psychological and all the different design aspects which weren't within the profession at the time that I'm talking about. My beginnings of permaculture is 1980-1981. And I went to Australia and worked with David Holmgren and Bill Mollison. And David wasn't ready to move and talk about it as he was too young. But Bill came and became a really good friend. And so a little bit difficulty with him because I could hardly get with him on the same level, on a spiritual level. He used to talk about, I know your fairies at the bottom of your garden and things like this. You'd make a joke of it. And he was very witty. And so we got over it. And we were able to do the more practical stuff and the educational stuff together. And we didn't disagree on the spiritual level, but we just didn't do much of the way of talking about it. We, we just left yes. it as yours and mine. And so and I think this is where, where we need to get to also quite a lot. We need to respect the other person and to respect his views. And this is part of yeah. permaculture. To see, permaculture is opposite to Darwin. Darwin was the, uh, the elements in nature are fighting each other and, and the survival of the fittest and all this sort of thing. And whereas permaculture is, the elements are supporting each other, even if they eat up each other. They're supporting the whole biotope and the whole ecological system. And, of course, that is also means that we are not just tolerating our neighbours, but we're actually trying to look and see what are their needs. And can I'd say the same, I'd say make a, a, a funny analogy to a butter at the breakfast table. And, and one person will say, butter, when he wants it. And the other ones would say, please, may I have the butter? Mm-hmm. That's already a nicer way. But actually, the best way is that if you notice that the other guy needs the butter because he's just taken a piece of bread and 
he needs the butter, so you hand it over to him. And he doesn't have to ask. In other words, you're thinking of the other while you're having a good time yourself. And this we can put into all sorts of ways of making music. We're used to that. We're usually making music for others. That's why musicians are open, mostly. And also gardeners, they're open. They're yeah. making vegetables for others. And if we could all get into this way of doing that, we'd, yeah. And this is what I call the we system of community. But nice. we are all together and we're all part of God. And therefore, it connects up together. It's very simple. It's no big, airy fairy stuff with angels and all that sort of thing. It's a practical spirituality. And that was why I liked Eileen Caddy so much, the, the woman who was one of the founders of Findhorn Foundation in Scotland, the eco-village that really, where we really got the eco-village network going. Yeah, And I often read her in the morning and read her day's suggestion in the morning because it just gets you into a good mood and you are ready to confront even negative things and turn them around. And this is one of the principles of permaculture is that the problem is the solution. In the problem is the solution. And if you just look at the problem well enough, you can turn it around very quickly and you can get into this habit very quickly. So I'm called a positivist. Sometimes in a sort of a negative way. I don't know uh, if people understand my funny Irish-German accent because I've now lived more than 70 years in Germany. That's amazing. Is that right? 70 years already? You were only 17 when you came over? No, in true years, 60 years. I was 27 27 when I got married to Margaret. And that was the point where I decided she, she had difficulties in living in another country. We only were sporadically a couple of years in Scotland and a couple of years in the United States and a, a half year in Nigeria and that sort of thing. We got around, but we came back to Germany because she felt her home was Germany, whereas my home was in me. And so I can be anywhere. But there's one thing I'd like to talk about, and that is what we were talking about just before Christmas, some experiences out of this life, past life experiences and also near-death experiences and things like that. Because I do work every so often as a spiritual healer. I'm not really as a spiritual healer, but as a person who gets people to heal themselves spirit. I'm, it's more like a coach. It's more like giving them a kick in the pants and get off your foot, you're standing on it, and getting into <laughs> their real level of potential. Yeah. And yeah, yes. that's where I met up so well with people like Charles Eisenstein and people like that, where we were able to get the practical and the spiritual going together. And this yes. is what I think is so necessary. But especially now. We split yeah. so much through the traditional religions that it's either that or that. And you've got two faces, you've got two lives, really. And yeah. really, it's one life. It's one life with all these other people and all these, yeah, I'm one with you, whoever you are is listening to me. Yeah? Yes, and yes. This, and this gives you a fantastic energy, or it gives me a fantastic energy when I know that. 
I'm now working yeah. with a, a man in Poland. I never had really much to do with Poland in my life. But just after Solidarność, I had a period, and now again. And, and I find them an extraordinary people, very different to me and very different yeah. to Irish. But that's the great thing about it, is difference. I love differences. Yes. Yeah. You said after Solidarność, is that what you said? So, yeah. Just right after Solidarność and before the wall came down, I did a whole permaculture mm -hmm. tour in Poland twice. I actually was coming back on the train through uh, Berlin and West Berlin at that time while all these choirs were going on the street. The, the days before the wall came down, I was back here one day and then came down and I couldn't yeah. believe it because, but while we were going through Berlin, there were these choirs going on the street, Freiheit Jetz, freedom now of Freiheit Jetz, Freiheit Jetz. So it was a chant where they were just walking through the streets and there was no aggression. It was more love. And there's lots of them had candles and lots of them had different things to show that they want to love each other. And it, yeah. this is very few people have written about the love that was behind that switch. Yeah. And it was partly also the love that was in Gorbachev, who was able to tell the dictator in East Germany that his time was finished. Yeah. And, and it was, and here was I playing in the train Oh, gosh, I hope this goes without any bloodshed. And it did. We had hardly mm. any bloodshed at all. I think there was oh, maybe one person, one person too much, uh, who, was, who died in the process beforehand, an awful lot because of the aggression on the border. But then this flip over was just amazing. And when mm. people say, oh, you can't get the public to change, I said, no, there's Bangladesh. We have this beautiful situation where Germany became one. Okay, there's also a sort of political hiccup going on in the background and all that sort of thing. But but in, in point of fact, it was the people coming out of the Monday classes in Leipzig onto the street and emanating love. And the police and the army just couldn't, had no, they had, they had no armaments against love. It's beautiful. Yeah, and it's and that. Uh, okay, maybe I'm I'm overdoing it because I love so much. But these are very pivotal moments, obviously, and you were part of it. You were there. You were taking a train from you said Poland back to Germany, and you got to see all of this unfolding at the time that it was a very monumental shift that took place. Lars, my husband, grew up in Germany, and he never imagined in his lifetime the wall would come down. He never that he, he said when it happened, it was just utterly stunning to him. He couldn't believe it because he'd had relatives in East Germany. And when they had to go visit their relatives, it was terrifying. He actually has a little story of how he smuggled a guinea pig from East Germany back to his home in West Germany <laughs> and, and how terrified he was hiding the guinea pig on the train from the soldiers because they would take everything apart to find something and you'd yes. be imprisoned. And it was terrible. It was terrible. Mm -hmm. So he was to totally shocked when it happened. When I see, I lived 14 years as a professor yeah. in the Technical yeah. University in West Berlin, behind yeah. the wall. You have yeah. no idea what that was for experience. In the middle of the day, you would hit up against this barrier where you couldn't uh -huh. talk to the people on the other side 
Okay, yeah. I had a bit more uh, freedom because I was Irish and I could move back and forth. So I brought people seeds and plants that they needed in East Germany and got from mm -hmm. them some that I could didn't have from Siberia, etc. They had all that. So we had a connection as well. And we had a very nice connection, which after the wall came down, became a really then deep friendship because we'd gone through this nice. together. And yeah, so I can say that there's a good side to every difficulty. What's about yeah. the silver lining to every dark cloud and whatnot? <laughs> so that was said and sung about years ago. And I think we often forget it. it, it uh, even now with this whole thing and Corona, and which I think is completely overdone. But there's a good thing coming out of it because people are going back to basics. They are they're really yeah. beginning to think, what the hell are we here for? Why are we here? Why am I even on the earth? So is life all that important? And all these uh, things are going through their head. And, and we're getting into a new phase. It's going to stop very quickly, I have the feeling, very soon, this whole yeah. thing, because people are waking up to listening to each other, which they weren't at first. And now yes. we're, we're getting to a point where I have the feeling uh, that we're learning from it and learning from each other. Yes. Yeah. But that's the way I do my practical work. I'm working on things like using earth magnetism in permaculture to make the fruit trees go better. And so I'm, you know, actually, as I said, I've got my hands in the soil still, not as much as before I was 80. I just have uh, bodily difficulties in bending down and doing things. Uh, I can do maybe manual work for an hour and then I have to sort of take it easy for two <laughs> before I can go at it again. And so my garden is looking not as well as it used to, but I have a lot of help from my friends and that's wonderful in community to see. And especially the youngsters are coming into community. They all want to learn. What have we done? Because it's not that amazing what we've done, but it's different. And it's, yeah. it has a certain amount of, yeah. So you know, charity comes actually from the word love too. And it's, and I've got myself in a position that I can now hand over to the young people. And I have just take care that I don't talk in to their situation too often. I think this is one of the things you have to learn when you get over 70, that you begin to allow the others and not be so quick with criticism. Allow mm -hmm. the others to make their mistakes. Maybe yeah. help them a little then, but allow them to, uh, yeah, and just go with them when they need you, but not pushing your ideas on them. Nice. So, Declan, in terms of these spiritual experiences, you mentioned that you've recalled past lives before. You've had memories or experiences, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that. Mm. In contrast to my wife, I could. I had real difficulty in getting into the more Indian way of thinking and the more Indian spirituality. I was much more going back to my roots and the Celtic spirituality. And there's a lot in common, because in point of fact, the Celts came originally from India, 
all the way up to Danube and all the way through Europe. And then they went wow. to go for the New World and, and they didn't get there. And they landed on the west coast of Ireland. And that's where we have the Celtic background. And But the Celtic background is very open, both in a spiritual and in sexual ways and everything. It's very open. It's nothing like what we've got out of the 19th century. And it's a very cooperative, collaborative, mm-hmm. really. The, the, mm-hmm. And the, we only have the tales and the word of mouth tradition. We have very few, a couple of really good old books, but these are mostly from the period where we were already into the Roman Catholic systems, or the Irish Catholic systems, I should say, really. Because for centuries, Rome and Ireland were at loggerheads, although they were both yeah. doing the same thing and were both under the same Pope and that sort of thing. Yeah. But every institution has to look at itself. And this was not the case for me in the Catholic tradition. And therefore, I began looking at what I could find on the older systems. And I found a lot of things that made sense to me. And then I began to look into past lives and if this was a possibility. And really, especially somebody like Charles Eisenstein, when he was so young and he was so wise, he couldn't have just got it all within the first 25 years of his life. He must have brought Mm -hmm. it with him. Mm -hmm. And so I, I began to look into this and then I found out, why was I dancing so much? Yeah, I had a past life as a temple dancer. And why am I bisexual? I had a past life as a a gay man on Lesbos. That was also the reason why I liked Greece so much. I can't actually stand the Greek climate because I'm redhead and and I just burn in the sun. But I love the Greek people and I love the Greek way of doing things. And... Where did I get this? And then I found out I had it there. I even found out that Margaret and I were together in on three different levels once in medieval Europe. That was the reason why I got, you could say, came back to Germany. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I have all this connection because when I brought permaculture to Europe, the next place I brought it to was Brazil. What have I got as connection to Brazil? And then we we found out that we were together in the Amazon, wow. in this huge city in the Amazon. And when I heard about the theory that there was a city there before the the Spaniards and Portuguese messed it all up with their viruses, it's what's happening with us now happened way back there with just the influenza, yeah. yeah? And yeah. yeah, and now I'm learning from them and how to reuse my own wastes, my own feces, my own urine. Right. And yeah, you have I'm your own uh, composting toilet. I've learned yeah. from the Amazons and very shortly yeah. there, but I had been already on that level and I could see the whole thing that they had going in their very dense city under trees. Yes. Uh, and, um, so they were doing terra preta then, right? That's, yeah, that's, that's, they, the term. that's where yeah. terra preta, the word comes from actually because it's, it's, yeah, terra preta is actually Portuguese, yeah? which is yeah. Uh, black earth, white. And why am I supposedly, without thinking, arriving 
to the Amazons. I hadn't planned it. I had planned in when in Rio de Janeiro to do a two-week permaculture course after mm-hmm. the UN conference, Rio Plus Five. And because of not enough participation, they couldn't afford to do it. So I had, mm-hmm. I had two weeks free because my nice. chief flight came two weeks later and yeah. I couldn't change it. So yes. I went to the Amazons and with a couple yeah. of Indians that I had met at the conference. And that was a fantastic experience. I've had these sort of experiences and they all seem to be just perchance. But in point of yeah. fact, there was a design behind it. And there was nice. a design, and I see it was partly also in my task on this earth. It was all part of this design. So there's a, a greater entity who is guiding me. But it's not, nice. it's not a gray-bearded old father. No. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's an old religious idea. It's the idea, right? me. And it's the connect yes. of me and you. And it's this thing, and if, if I'm ready to listen to it, and that's what I listen in my couple of minutes meditation in between times. I'm in the middle of a meeting with hard businessmen, and I can go into Alpha, and I can get the answer that I need at that moment. It's just amazing if you're ready to trust in the universe. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's really beautiful. And, you, and that, that's part of it to see that I amn't only Declan at this moment. I'm a soul that individuated as Declan for this lifetime. But I've been there yeah. already. And I've been doing things already. And partly these things are then what I call now intuition. But it's important yes. fact, a lot of intuition that's gone over years and thousands of years that's coming out in me if I allow it. Yeah, it's well, in some teachings, they say that it's a quality of the soul. This intuition is a quality of the soul. Mm. And the more we're connected to that aspect of ourselves, who we really are, the more intuitive we become. Mm. And yeah, I've had that experience myself. So I know what you're talking about. You've mentioned before that you had a near-death experience once. I wonder if you could share a little bit about that. That was a, a, you could almost say, not funny ha, but funny peculiar uh, experience. It was a peculiar experience. I became a professor of urban design and ecology in the Technical University of Berlin at the age of 38. And I was actually already in difficulties because it wasn't considered dignified for a professor to be teaching dancing, <laughs> teaching oh. circle dance and dances from other countries and things like that. And but that was just, had a it was an extracurricular thing. In West thing, Berlin though. and it was great fun. And of course, it kept me also, because a professorship, you are sitting an awful lot, you are not moving. And right. jogging wasn't in that much in 1972, but I was dancing. And either I was teaching the dancing or somebody else was. So we had this group that met twice a week, and it was about mm, 50 people, yeah. um, male and female, and we had great fun as well. And But we also kept ourselves really good in good shape by doing, when you really get into Russian prajodkas and things like that, so, yeah, <laughs> you have to uh, have the good muscles then, etc. Right. And all of a sudden, I got this bunion on my right foot. And of course, it was really in the way. 
of dancing because especially lots of dances you are on the ball of your foot and you, you yes. have your whole weight on that and this was then hurting and I couldn't mm -hmm. get shoes at that time it was all these Italian shoes narrow shoes and whatnot couldn't get shoes to, so I had to even have shoes made for me so that I could dance and then my doctor at that time he was a very open anthroposophic homeopathic doctor And he, he said, you could have an operation. I don't usually tell people to have that, but you as a dancer, you could have an operation. Why don't we ask in one of the best hospitals in Berlin? And okay, that was Virko Krankenhaus. And so I go into the hospital and they operate on me and they give me a complete anesthetics. And the doctor actually said it to me later that they made a mistake. They forgot to... I look at my blood pressure before they put me under anesthetic. And I'm, I've always had low blood pressure since I was a child. And I also have a palpitating heart. The Austrians call it a polka heart because it goes one, two, three, stop, one, two, three, stop. But it's been always <laughs> that way. So it doesn't make a difference. I, it, I'm used to it. And so far, I'm able to work with it, obviously, at the age of 87, <laughs> right? So these two things they didn't look into and uh, they did a beautiful job on my foot. They really have uh, to be congratulated. I had no, uh, hardly any pain at all. But the whole problem was when I came out of the operation theater and I was in this foyer, which was almost two stories high, being very sanitary room, this wheeling bed, and they couldn't get me awake. I woke mm -hmm. up five hours later than I should have. Wow. And uh, during this period, I felt myself up below the ceiling in the corner, looking at the nurses, banging me and bashing me and trying to get my... They were even uh, doing massage on my heart because they were scared that I was going to stop. And it did stop then every three times. And sometimes then, they'd, oh, he's gone. And so it was, I think I was actually gone. I was up there as a soul looking at myself and looking at what was happening. And it was like a video. It was just amazing. I, I can't show it to anybody. It's all in my head. I, I mm. still have it, though. I still can see myself and everything is all sanitary white and fluorescent lights and things like this. And it's, it's just amazing. And then finally, they actually fed me through the veins. What do you call that? Intravenous. Yeah, exactly. With drops. Because they realized that my sugar level was down. And, and then by pulling up the sugar level, they reinstated But a couple of times, I even heard the main nurse saying, well, now he's gone. Oh, he's mm. come back again. <laughs> and this sort of thing. And they, they were amazed because they didn't know about the palpitating heart. But I guess it was just through my very simple uh, meditative things that I did very seldom. I did quite a lot of TM, you know, Transcendental Meditation. Of course, you can do it very quickly and you can stop it very quickly and you can go on. It's a very, yeah, it's a very nice meditation for somebody who's full of different projects as I am. <laughs> active. You're a very active person. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. I have had 
similar experiences once or twice in other situations, but I never had it so clear as this one. I came out and I had this video. You could say the video yeah. in my mind. And I yeah. could, and of course I told it to my Margaret immediately. And she said, gosh, I think you must have been really gone because, or at least you were that far that you were noticing yourself out of your own body. And of course it had a lot to do then in my thinking that I began to think of myself more as a soul and just individuated body here in this moment. And so it tied up with a lot of things that I'd been discussing. And then, of course, that was when I was 48, uh, 47, 47, 48. I got to know about permaculture. In 51, I give up the professorship. Tenure for life, I give it up because I just felt I wasn't able to do the creative things that I needed to do. But this was also a guidance. It was just a, a stomach feeling. And I do often say not so nice things about the university. But in point of fact, I enjoyed being at the university, but it just wasn't enough for me. I needed more challenges than just yeah. doing the same thing every second semester, you think. And anyway, and I've, I'm very glad and thankful for this experience because it has made me really notice that I'm a body and a soul. Yeah. And that I have to take yeah. care of the soul. And that, and therefore, I, when I give up the, professorship, which was all head, 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 head. And I began doing courses in intuition and things like yeah. this. Okay, at 17 already, I was a diviner. It's really funny, the word divine and diviner. Diviner, finding yeah. out energies below the earth is divine. <laughs> in the English language, just beautiful. <laughs> yeah, but there's another term for it. What is it again? It's There's a couple of terms for this, but a dowser. You, a you dowser. were doing dowsing. A dowser. The official one is radiostasy. Yeah. Is oh, the official okay. uh, because it's radiation and it's all sorts of energies uh, coming through, like the electromagnetic fields and other. But I'm working with yeah. him and I'm working with him in a positive way. Most people look at electromagnetic fields and ley lines and things like this as a negative thing because you can't sleep on top of them. And lots of people have uh, even got sick by living on top of a ley line. But you can, it's energies that are really good for being creative. So if you are writing or if you are designing new buildings or anything like that, then it's good to have your workspace on a ley line. And now I'm changing around the electric magnetic fields. I'm harnessing them for getting fruit going in sandy soil, which is almost impossible all over the world, and are only with an awful lot of care. But I always wanted the permaculture way that would take care of itself. And so I've done a whole 10-year research on it, and it's now in a book, which is only self-published, and we're going to do a second edition within a new name, and it's going to be called something like uh, Fruit Trees and Sand or something like that, so that it's much too much of academic name at the moment. It doesn't yeah. sell. Doesn't sell at all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But I'm not really worried about selling. Uh, as long as it gets at the people and I have it online. And I have a very simple website and also YouTube channel, which is Declan.de. D-E-C-L-A-N. Declan, my first name. Which, by the way, is from Deoglon in Gaelic. 
which means full of God. Here I am. I can't help it. <laughs> and of course, all my Catholic friends in Ireland think I'm I'm a heretic and I'm on my way to hell and whatnot. No. Even today, even oh even yes, I've got time. a sister who's giving me a, every letter is a Tarman. Oh no, kidding! Yeah. I had no idea. You met her even. Take... You met her even at, at our celebration here. Yes, yeah. I would expect that most of your family members, after watching things unfold in your life in such a beautiful, organic way, would probably take a page out of your book and say, "Hey, I think I could learn something." I should take that a bit back because, in point of fact, the next generation are all free thinkers. Yeah, Especially those who, when my parents left, they they were in California from 1922 to 1931. And when they left California and came back to Ireland, they left it with the idea that they wanted to have a Catholic family. They just put it off one one generation. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Because they they were as rebels. They were too much in the questioning of all sorts of different institutions and yeah. things like that. They actually, you could say, paved the way without realizing it. And they thought they were, especially my mother, thought that she was uh, doing the one thing that had to be done. And had she was pregnant 10 times and eight of them came through, came through. And five of them are still alive and all over 80. It's fantastic. It's yeah. beautiful. And in point of fact, enjoying their lives. In their yes. own way. I don't want to be critical of any of them. They're doing what they feel they should be doing. And it's, and it's right for them and for me too. Yeah, I am so honored to know mm. you, Declan. And it's a real joy to be interviewing you for Mystic Takeaway. And I'm so grateful. Thank you so much for sharing all of this wonderful wisdom. Thank you also. Uh, you've given me a lot of joy as well. And I wish you a lot, lot of success with your podcasts and your work. I think it's amazing that from this little village you're doing broadcasting so far and getting to so many people. You've been listening to Mystic Takeaway. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing and sharing it with others. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.